and welcome to a live edition of Fully Equipped from the Masters. Never thought I would be saying that. I also never thought I'd be sitting next to my next co-host. I say next co-host because I've had so many by now. I, I just feel like they keep like trotting them out. I would say this one is probably Fully Equipped's number one fan. I, I would definitely say so. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, I, I really appreciated you like signing my chest before, <laughs> you know, so, so I do want to thank you as a long time listener, first time caller. So, so the voice that you're hearing is Luke Curdenine. He is Golf.com's instruction editor. He's also probably as big of a gear sicko as me. LKD, what is going on? <laughs> What's up, Jay? Well, thanks for having me in Augusta. I mean, this is like a, a real stars aligning moment for me. Yeah. You know, like I'm saying, I just love flipping on fully equipped, nerding out with you guys every week. Obviously, I was telling you about it in club test in Arizona last last year. So I just, I'm just so excited. I know. Luke told me before we hit record, he said, Jay, well, I'm so excited. <laughs> and I can already tell it. In his voice, he's also wearing quite possibly the coolest hat. Right. This like old school golf magazine visor. So yeah, so I got into the habit of just like buying old golf magazines on eBay, just because they're so cool. There are like so many amazing tips. Like, nobody, nobody, nobody does that except you, for you. But did you know like Lee Trevino was once golf magazine's instruction editor? I mean, now I'm the instruction editor. I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say we're trending up from that situation. You, you and Lee Trevino are like the same. I mean, you're, you're, you're on similar footing. They, they often say that, you know. But but so I've just been buying up these magazines, and one day I typed in golf magazine into eBay and this vintage visor comes up says buy it now six dollars I don't think I've ever spent six dollars that quickly in my life so definitely my new favorite visor didn't even go it didn't even go into the timeout closet just straight into the bag so. I love it he also knows about the timeout closet because again he is fully equipped number one fan I'm surprised you didn't spend that money on a putter by the way <laughs> I know I, I'm can not, we talk about your putter collection for oh, a second before, so, before we get going so many of them I, I went down a very dangerous like vintage weird putter rabbit hole on eBay eBay's a dangerous place for a putter it's yeah, apparently a dangerous place for golf magazine visors <laughs> and, and old golf magazines so my favorite new weird putter purchase which is something I uh, slapped you the other day was the the tailor made uh, excuse me the Titleist bullseye forge so it, it's not a it doesn't look like a traditional bullseye but they right. call it a bullseye forge and it's a it's a titleist putter before scotted camera came along which is cool which is very cool very cool it kind of has a flow neck to it but it's sort of in its position right in between like it almost looks like a center shafted putter you know it's it's, it's a bit like Luke List's putter you know how he kind of has a flow neck I love how you're just like throwing it out like, yeah. you, like you fit in perfectly on this podcast because you are throwing out putters that are like old school designs with guys that are already using it on tour. I love it. Continue. Exactly. Yeah. So that, I'm really excited about that one. Feels so pure. Hasn't gone into the bag yet, but every day I look, look at it in my garage and I think it's time. The other one I'm especially proud of is the, is the P2 Solution putter. Have you ever heard of this one? No, so, but, so, but I'm sure you have. I'm so, sure you've done a lot of research. So Google it. Google P2 Solution and then Parnival. Because he won on tour with us. I think he won the Honda Classic with it in the late 90s. Okay. This thing, it kind of looks like a boomerang, except it's a center shafted putter. But the shaft, like, it's, it's, it is truly bizarre. But I have this, I, I was like, I went on this kick of thinking, like, I really want a boomerang shaped putter. You know, kind of. There it is. Exactly. And so, yeah. What a wild design. It's absolutely wild. And they say it's the easiest putter ever created to aim. 
So I was like, oh, of course I'm going to spend $50 on that. <laughs> and it'll be out of your bag in a week. Out of my bag in a week. It has this really weird tingy sound, too. We don't need to get into the details of the depths of my tragic Potter collection, but those are the two I'm especially proud of. All right, so before we get into this week's episode, I always want to let you know that this Fully Equipped Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Rockform and their G-Rock wireless golf speaker. Now, Chris and Gene aren't here, but uh, I'm going to say that they probably, neither one of them, have their G-Rock speaker just yet. But if you want to pick one up, go check out rockform.com to get 20% off. Use promo code FE20 if you don't know about the G-Rock. Do you know about this speaker, Luke? I've actually heard like genuinely good things about yeah, this Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, I tried it out here recently during a round. I, I picked one up, and I've been ribbing the guys because I'm the only one of the co-hosts on the podcast that actually has one, <laughs> even though we talk about it every week. So I feel like I just have to keep driving that home. But it has one of the, I would say, without a doubt, the strongest magnet out there. So if you're a golfer that likes to ride the cart, Throw the mat, throw the you know speaker up on the side of your cart. You don't have to worry about it popping off. Even if you're you know like I do, joy riding on the golf course, I don't ever have to worry about that. Also has a carabiner clamp so you can hook it to your golf bag if you're somebody that likes to walk. It's waterproof, which is really nice. Again, on on a rainy day, you don't have to worry about it if it gets a little bit wet. 24 hours of battery life, which I keep always hammering home, and every time we talk about it, I mean that's that's five rounds of golf. One of the things that I hate about speakers is that typically you have to recharge it after every round. Yeah. This one you don't. You get five rounds of golf out of it. Um, it's got this rugged, drop-resistant design, so it's all black. It doesn't even really look like a speaker to me. It it's, it's kind of feels like uh, it's got like a military vibe to it. It's just a, it's a cool speaker. Can't recommend it enough. And again, I'm the only one that has it on the podcast. Now, I've heard good things about this because I've heard the magnet is incredibly strong, which is like an underrated good thing about a speaker. And then, um, you know, what I've heard too is like a lot of these speakers, they, they're kind of heavy. You know, you have to like wrap them around your bag in some way, shape or form. They kind of weigh your bag down, which is yeah. kind of a bump for a walker. This one is actually quite lightweight too. Yeah, so. it is. I agree. And that's another great point is it is lightweight considering the, the I mean, it's got some crazy good sound too. Mm. So again, Go check it out, fe 20 rockfoam.com to get 20% off. All right, it's Masters Week. We're here at the beautiful Savannah River Brewing Company. It's a cool spot to do the podcast. I honestly don't feel like I'm at the point in my career where I should be doing a podcast from somewhere like here. It always feels a little bit better to be doing one from home. That kind of feels like more of my vibe. Fewer people around, I can make mistakes. Nobody's, you know, nobody's around to hear me make those mistakes. The world is watching on it. It's just like the pros talk about this Masters Week, so all the intensity, all the pressure just ticks up a notch. It does. And that's carrying through to It does. So, as you would expect for Masters Week, there's a lot of gear talk going on, but it's not about the golf clubs, Luke. It's about the shoes. Now, I can't remember the last time that I talked this much and tweeted this much about a pair of shoes mm. but of course those when those shoes are tied to the goat you know we got we have to talk about it so tiger woods as i'm as i'm perusing getty on a sunday as i tend to do it's 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 part of my weekend routine i was going through photos and i'm just for some reason, there was this photo that caught my eye of Tiger's shoes. That's still wedge that he had. And I zoomed in, and I couldn't leave my eyes. There's a pair of FootJoy shoes on next to Michael Jordan, the most recognizable Nike athlete 
on the face of the planet. I, I was I was stunned. When, when did you find out that Tiger was wearing the joints? So I started finding out when coaches were texting me, which was so weird because coaches like, do you see what Tiger's wearing? And I'm like, what? Like you know, I only I only get those texts when Tiger's like wearing stuff not on the golf course, like a hat backwards and sunglasses and stuff. And so I quickly log on to Twitter, and inevitably everybody's talking about. And for good reason. I mean, the guy's been decked out the face of Nike since 1996. We're talking 25-plus years here. He shows up in this huge comeback on FitJoy shoes, and I was like, what is going on here? Started scratching around. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's what everybody wanted to know was, first off, what kind of FitJoy shoes are they? They're the FitJoy Premier Packard. And it's what you'd expect from a like premium FitJoy shoe. It's, it's very traditional. It's, you know, leather sole, you know, Tiger still has his metal spikes on there, but it got people wondering, why is Tiger wearing a footjoy shoe? And we didn't have to wait very long to find out, and it was what a lot of people already thought. Tiger, during his Tuesday press conference, says, I need stability. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm making my comeback right now. I'm still working with Nike. Need, need a stable shoe. And if you look at what Tiger's worn historically over the course of his career, he's you know what Nike's called their free inspired. It allows the foot to move a lot more with the sole. It's not as stable. And when you're coming off a, a gruesome leg injury that Tiger is, you need that stability. I get it. But again, the fact that they couldn't come out with a Nike shoe, and I know Tiger was, you know, this. This isn't like Tiger's been prepping for the Masters. It's only been very recently that we've really started to get a feel for, okay, this could happen. So maybe Nike doesn't have the time to do it, but it is. It's a, it's, it was a shocking development for me. It's an, uh, yeah, truly shocking and uh, exciting. And it's actually quite interesting because a few coaches had told me about this independently, not about Tiger, but just about like, hey, you should really look into like how golf shoes affect the golf swing. This is and, interesting because you wrote about this for Golf.com. I wrote about this, yeah. And this is something that golf coaches can study really well because of false plates. So false plates allow you to see, like, how much are you using the ground? Like, how much are you pressing into the ground with your left foot and your right foot as you swing? And so what, what golf coaches have found, incidentally, what, like, runners have found, too, is that the literal design of the shoe can really affect the way you're, like, putting force into the ground. So a lot of shoes nowadays are designed for like maximum comfort. And what that entails is that there's a lot of cushion under the heel of your foot. Um, and what that means is that it kind of pitches your foot forward slightly. Almost like you're wearing a miniature version of high heels, right? Um, so your weight's a little more on your toes. Now that's a big problem for Tiger Woods because when his weight is a little more on his toes, toes, excuse me, it means he can't make uh, sort of a big loaded backswing because he can't get his weight like back around him causes him to like early extend move a little towards the ball super bad on his back super bad on his leg and therein lies the problem right and so what these foot joy shoes do essentially is they stabilize his foot and bring his foot flatter to the ground almost like he's not wearing shoes at all and that allows him just to rotate better and that's sort of what he alluded to in the press conference when he was saying, I need something with more stability. And that's why he went for these foot joints. Yeah. So I guess the big question now is when Tiger shows up again after the Masters. I mean, I think we both would agree, at least my opinion is it's going to be the Open Championship. I don't think he's going to miss St. Andrews as long as he has a good week. 
and he's healthy, I think the next time we'll see him is, is the Open Championship. But do we see him in foot choice? Or do we see him in Nikes? A, what, what, what do you think? If you're looking at your crystal ball, what are you, you going to say? It's a really good question. And I think the fact that Tiger Woods sort of, he sort of implied, like, I'm working with Nike on something. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting that these conversations seem to be happening, yet they haven't had as much urgency to the point where he's wearing some version of Nike shoes at his biggest event. And what's actually quite interesting that FootJoy's design is more of a throwback design, right? It's more of a, like, I, I wouldn't Google the picture of Tiger Woods and what he was wearing in the 1997 Masters. Very similar in the sense that like his foot is flushed to the ground. TWs. He's not, this is not some like mind blowing tech that he's asking for. Right. He's asking for something a little more tweaked. So yeah. it, it'll be really interesting to uh, sort of get a temperature on the urgency. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if he if he isn't wearing the shoe come the Open Championship, assuming that's his next start, you know there's something up. And it's interesting because I was reading an article by by the Action Network's Derek Bell, and he mentioned something that I've actually heard from a couple of, of sources. Um, you know, Michael Jordan has a lifetime contract with Nike. Tiger Woods is not, and so maybe. Maybe Tiger's flexing a little bit. Maybe he's trying to tell Nike, look, I'll wear the apparel. Then when it comes to the shoes, I mean, I, I get that Tiger is, is getting up there in age. He's 46, 46 now. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he is the most recognizable golfer on the planet. He's one of the, still one of the most recognizable athletes in, in the world. You would essentially want to have the Tiger Woods line continue even if Tiger, I mean, Jordan doesn't play basketball anymore, but the Jordan brand still has staying power. The same way where you would think that, you know, the Tiger Woods brand, would you would want it to be the same way to have staying power. So I don't know, it, it, it does make me wonder if if it's if there's more to it than just simply not getting the shoes out in time. There's definitely smoke there, you know? I would agree. And it's interesting because, I mean, the new normal, at best case scenario, what we're going to see from Tiger is him doing exactly this, kind of showing up unannounced when he feels good, drawing huge crowds in the process. I mean, these crowds he was pulling in, Jay Wall on Monday and Tuesday were unbelievably large. What was the scene like out there? It was like eight deep today on 16 when he was skipping balls. Roars, Jay Wall. Yeah. He made a putt. I watched him make a putt on at nine. 31st, he was on the back tier, just kind of casually steps up, hits a long putt, hits one of the practice holes, the crowd rolls, like erupts. And I'm just like, it, it's unbelievable. So this is what we're gonna see. We're gonna see him show up and pull in these huge audiences sort of on a very sporadic basis. That schedule doesn't necessarily lend itself to a traditional X amount of events agreement. It lends itself to a Michael Jordan style agreement, which would seem by all indications well deserved. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, and, and, and I, I totally agree. Tiger deserves a lifetime deal. And maybe maybe this is just what they need. They need a whole lot of chatter about a non-Nike shoe at the Masters. I mean, Ti Tiger knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, short of somebody said that this is akin to Jordan showing up at the NBA Finals in a pair of Adidas shoes. You know, now... If he had showed up this week with Adidas shoes, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even know what, what would have happened. But, you know, Foot Choice is pretty close because, again, you're looking at the most popular golf shoe brands out there. I mean, it's 
Footjoy's Footjoy's right there at the top. I mean, it's it's a very very popular shoe out here. I know for you know maybe not the like you know diehard golfers. You know a lot of them know Nike and Adidas, but but Footjoy is like far and away the one that if you're if you're a serious golfer, you probably had at least a pair or two. During Absolutely. the course of your golfing career. Absolutely. And, and one interesting note, too, is that in this press conference, you could clearly see Tiger knew he was going to get asked about this. First thing he said was, Tiger Woods has been, uh, excuse me, Tiger Woods said, Nike's been a great partner to me throughout my entire career. You know, so he's definitely. He's trying to throw a bone. He's throwing a bone. He's, yeah. he's not burning this bridge down. He, but so it, it, it all of which sort of implies that there's some something going on behind the scenes here, which should become clear. Yeah. All right. So. In addition to Tiger, there were some additional changes that I think we're going to see this week. One of the unfortunate things about the Masters is it makes my job a little bit more difficult, first world problems. But this is one of those weeks where instead of having the golf equipment trucks within you know a stone's throw of the range so the reps can get back and forth to players, they're on the other side of Washington Road. Which I've always talked to the reps about this and, and said, what what is it like? Because only one of them from the, from from the manufacturers is allowed on the range at one time. Oh, I didn't know. So that. they can, you know kind of kind of going back and forth and trying to figure out like tagging in, like wrestling pretty much. And um, it's it is it's one of those weeks that makes it interesting for me because I today just to try and get as much intel as I could. I spent four and a half hours, you know, probably about two of those hours actually doing work, and another two and a half just standing around waiting for reps to get back to the trucks. <laughs> and maybe you get lucky, maybe you don't. But some of the takeaways, you know, Augusta's not changing. It's it's the only major that's played on the same golf course every single year, and. That's why you hear about the same changes every year. We're talking about fresh wedges, mm -hmm. so fresh grooves to help and give more bite, and high loft and fairway woods for the guys that are trying to go for the par fives and two. Now, we're gonna see some high loft and fairways. Some of the names that are gonna be making changes, we've got Dustin Johnson removing his three iron in favor of a tailor-made stealth four hybrid. Um, if you wanna feel a little bit worse about your game. DJ hits the four hybrid and the three iron same distance, 245 yards to carry with the three iron. Amazing. Um, but he's getting more hype with the hybrid, which we've seen DJ, Rory and DJ actually a few years back were using Sim 2 hybrids. And it was really the first time we had seen pros with that kind of speed because they just, you know, for, for a pro, their dreaded misses left. And that's one that they just were never really able to, to remove out of the equation with the hybrid. Now they're able to do that. Now we're starting to see guys like DJ putting it in the bag more often. So we're going to see a hybrid from DJ. We've got Louis Oosthuizen going from a ping blueprint four iron into a ping eye blade four iron. The main reason for that is the eye blade's going to have a bit more forgiveness than the blueprint. A little bit higher launch, kind of a similar situation. Victor Hovland is going to be going from a 9-degree ping G425 LST into a 10-degree. Uh, and actually, the 10-degree driver is about 2 degrees more upright. And the ping rep said that's going to try and help limit the left-to-right curve. So he's trying to get a straighter ball this week. Um, you know, it's, Victor's my guy. We'll talk. We'll, we'll, we'll get into picks, but, but he, he's... Uh, He's looking good to me, although you're going to crush my hopes. I have a feeling um, here in a little bit. Brooks Kepka was testing a Cleveland RTX zip core in a mid bounce. I'm going to talk about mid bounce here in a second because the weather has changed a little bit. But 
Brooks was looking for more spin with the wedge, but also a lower launch. So adding a bit more bounce is going to help him lower that launch just a bit more. He's one of those guys who uses a very low launch, or very, sorry, very low bounce lob wedge. So for him to go to mid-bounce, he's trying to get that lower that launch a little bit just for a week like this where he's going to need control because we're talking about maybe 10 to 20 miles an hour worth of wind. Um, Rory McIlroy confirmed that in Valero, he changed golf balls. He went to another version of the TP5X golf ball that he was using. He didn't give a whole lot of details, but I can tell you that TaylorMade doesn't make special versions of the ball. So when he did, it's, I'm thinking it's a different variation. Maybe it's an older model of the TP5X, but he was just talking about trying to find a ball that he can kind of cut through the wind. And, you know, again, if you're thinking about things that you're going to need to be able to do this week, it's going to be windy. Some players are changing their equipment. Other guys, we're going to talk about Tiger Woods being one of them, are changing and adjusting their tee height. But that kind of seems to be the, the general consensus is fresh wedges, high lofted woods to attack the par fives. Now, the one interesting change that I did hear was Aaron Dill, who's Loki's tour rep, told me that for this week, he's used to getting a lot of guys making requests for fresh wedges. But when guys showed up on Monday, the golf course, as a couple of pros told him, was extremely crispy. We're talking like Sunday conditions on a Monday. And so everybody's already preparing for firm conditions. They're going to need extra bite with their wedges, and then the rain comes on Tuesday. And he said that when he got in the truck on Tuesday, he was just inundated with texts from guys saying, what do I do? Because they rely on Aaron to kind of assess like the course conditions and then kind of what they're feeling out there and like, well, what do I do with all this rain? So there's a really good chance that this week you're going to see a lot of players go with maybe more bounce, like a mid-bounce, kind of like Brooks Kepka early in the week with the with the golf course being a little bit softer. I know Augusta's sub-air system is unbelievable and it's going to dry out the golf course, but they're expecting it to be softer. And then as the week goes on, expect to see more guys go into that lower bounce yeah. with, their, with their wedges, especially in the lob wedge. So again... Just because you show up with a club on Thursday doesn't mean it's going to be in the bag on Sunday. But there is a lot going on at Augusta. But it feels like this this year more than others, it's a lot more of the minutiae. And I, mean, I think something that's playing a role here are the various changes that Augusta National has been making to its course. Obviously, every time, as soon as the Masters ends, the Augusta membership takes a good look at the course and thinks, how can we, how can we uh, move this place a little forward? And the two ones that pros have been talking a lot about uh, the uh, 13th green which has been resurfaced to be a little more undulating and uh, the 15th hole which uh, is 20 yards longer this year and the fairway has been wide so what's quite interesting you're mentioning high loft and fairway woods is that justin thomas said earlier depending on the wind and your drive, because a lot of guys hit three wood off that tee in order to try to draw it into the fairway rather than try to rope and drive it and they're not comfortable, is that they may end up with a high lofted fairway wood into that 13th green. And then they may turn around on 15, which is already a long hole, but now it's 20 yards longer. Instead of hitting their four iron, they're going to have to be hitting another high lofted fairway wood. So all of a sudden, this club is at a premium for them. Two scoring holes on the back nine you're going to need to play well on Sunday, and you're going to be having maybe the same club into both, depending on the win. So again, it all goes to say that this is this is this is where your money is made as a PGA Tour player. You're trying to identify these marginal gains where you can see them, and making sure that when you're hitting that 
pile off the ferry wood into the green, that it's landing soft. Because you don't want to be long at 15 and you don't want to be long at 13 either. So you need that ball coming in with some spin and landing soft. We were talking before we started the pod about just the evolution of fairway woods out on the PGA Tour, you know, for years going back to the, you know, late, you know, the 90s, early 2000s. I mean, three woods were, were a weapon off the tee for, for a lot of pros. And nowadays you see pros not even having a three wood in the bag. We see a lot more four woods, five woods, seven woods, as you mentioned, like something to get that high apex height. So you've you got a steep descent angle and you can land it on the green. It's, it's totally changed. I mean, I look at Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he went from his, his trusty Nike VR Pro Limited 3-wood at 13 and a half degrees, and he gets into a 16 and a half degree Stealth 3HL from TaylorMade. And the main reason was because the 15 degree went too far. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of guys are seeing now is with, with today's ball technology and the, and the club technology, you sometimes have to go higher launch yeah. to be able to get that optimized angle going into the green. Absolutely. I mean, and you have to keep in mind, right? Like the pros used to only be able to dial in their drivers so much, right? They just didn't have the technology to be able to take off, you know, trim off 200 RPMs of spin in order to get them exactly optimized with their driver. They used to get pretty close and then they'd say, okay, well, when you can't, when you're not feeling super confident in your driver, just hit your three-wood, which is effectively just a mini version of your driver. Nowadays, you can get so dialed with your driver, and because of this general rise in advanced statistics involved, people know that hitting driver more often than not when you're in doubt is the better play, that it's just shifted the priorities when it comes to the next club in your bat. And now Scott, guys, a guy like Scotty Shepard knows what he really needs from his three-wood is not to be a second driver, but to be a forward. Something that he can get up in the air and land really soft. Because when in doubt, if he needs to hit a fairway, he's either going to be hitting a low sort of stinger two, three iron type, or he's going to be ripping a driver. And his three wood's going to be more sort of a from the fairway situation to attack these par fights, which is more common now than it used to be in, say, the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. The one thing I will say is while we're talking about how the evolution of the three wood has changed out on tour, I mean, I think today's three woods, I mean, they're hotter than ever, mm. which, and that's a benefit for the average golfer. Because if you're somebody that struggles with a driver, maybe it's maybe it's just the length this is a little bit too long to be able to square it up. I mean, a lot of these hot three woods, I mean, I think about like a TaylorMade Stealth Plus, I mean, they go forever. And I even like Todd Chu, one of TaylorMade's tour reps said, you know, if Scotty Scheffler tried a 15 degree Stealth Plus, he's like, it would be like a mini driver for him. Like, those guys don't need that, but for the average golfer, it's it's a perfect combination to, you know, give them that distance that they still need with the accuracy that they're going to be able to get out of the fairway. Yeah, exactly. They don't necessarily need that tight gap, that, that tight gap between their drive and the three wood. They need a tighter gap between their three wood and their two iron or their three iron. Yeah. Uh, that sort of situation. Yeah. All right. So, we've talked a lot about gear. Why don't we transition into, he's got, a, he's got a new sponsor. We just keep adding sponsors to the podcast. This one is a gear sponsor, Golf Pride, and their new CPX grip. Now, I think this is a really cool grip because, you know, everybody knows about the Tour Velvet from Golf Pride, which is, you know, the most played grip out on Tour. Golf Pride is the most played grip out on, out on the PGA Tour. But, you know, not every golfer needs firm grip. 
I mean, soft performance is something that I think a lot of golfers can benefit from, and that's what you're going to get with this new CPX. We actually talked to Golf Pride last week on the podcast about this, so if you didn't get a chance, go back and listen to Eric Gibson from Golf Pride. He did a full rundown on this new grip. It's got a really cool design. The, the one thing that I will say, in addition to being soft, is it has this new Exo Diamond quilted pattern that runs along the side of the grip, and the inspiration for that pattern was from the grips found on BMX bikes. Oh, cool. So it, it's going to give you that soft performance, kind of, you know, think about all the vibrations you're getting riding a BMX bike. Like, you, you don't need all that vibration in your hand. So it's going to keep that grip extra soft, but also it's going to make sure that it's not sliding a lot in your hands. Um, you know, I think people, like, people won't ask me since, since the, uh, the grip came out last week, like, who's, who's this going to benefit? And I would say it's going to benefit a lot of golfers, you know, especially ones that maybe you're on the, you know, maybe you're 50 plus. You know, this this is certainly a grip that, that you could benefit from that softer feel. But again, me being kind of getting close to 40, I, I hate I hate saying that, but it is it is probably one of those grips. Maybe I need to uh, maybe I need to go get one of these and try it out. So again, if you're a golfer that's constantly dealing with like that vibration in your hands, certainly a grip you need to check out. Golf Pride's new CPX, and thanks again to them for being a sponsor and fully equipped. All right, with that, more Tiger Talk. Let's do it. So during the Tuesday. I, this is again what I love about the Masters is they're always very forward thinking. So a lot of what they do with their innovation is designed to help improve the overall viewing experience. Now we've we've seen you know Masters on the range. It's it's part of their broadcast. They only of course like Augusta does. They give you a limited two hours so you can get to watch golfers on the range hit shots. And I was watching it, and one of the things that stuck out to me was they of course are fixated on Tiger who's hitting balls on the range. And they notice as, as he's hitting balls with his driver, he's alternating the tee height between each drive. High tee, very low tee. I mean, high tee meaning like basically at least half of the golf ball is, is above the ground. Low tee meaning the golf ball is in the dead center of the face when he's setting up to an address. So wildly different. And you know, if you're if you're a golfer, I mean you you and I know what adjusting the tee height is gonna do. Absolutely. If you go high with the tee height, you're going to get, and then you're going with a positive angle tap, meaning you're impacting the golf ball with an ascending blow. You're going to get a high launch, extra carry, distance is going to be good, lower spin. Now, when you lower the tee, it's going to do what you think. You're going to lower your ball flight. Mm -hmm. And so golfers are watching and thinking, okay, well, that's cool. But of course, Augusta is being very forward thinking. They had a second screen that was spitting out all the launch monitor numbers. And I love that because maybe maybe you say, okay, well, what is what does a low ball for Tiger look like? What's, what's that gonna look like on the golf course this week for him? I just wanted to kind of read off these numbers. So again, as we mentioned, it's gonna be windy this week. So Tiger's gonna need to be able to fly this golf ball at times. And that's why he's working with the lower tee height. And, uh, you know, as, as the king of the stinger, He's always gonna gonna you know be able to execute that kind of shot, but the numbers were wildly different, and this kind of shows you if you're the type of golfer that that plays in windy conditions, you know you're gonna be able to expect similar numbers like this. Maybe not Tiger numbers, but at least the distance drop off. So when Tiger teed the ball low, he was getting 281 yards of carry. Ball speed was at 174, which, as you pointed out on Twitter, 174 ball speed for a guy that's just making his return. 
it's unbelievable. I mean, what's, I mean, it's important to view this in context too, because in 2018, so the year before he won the Masters, his season-ending ball speed was 179. And now he's cruising at 174. I mean, it's unbelievable, this guy generally, but like you're saying, that number is a very yeah, respectable. It's very good. And I think, I mean, again, this, this, isn't, this isn't just, you know, to promote the, the TaylorMade driver, but, you know, a lot of the TaylorMade staffers and the guys that have switched to the stealth driver, you know, that, that new carbon fiber twist face, I mean, Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio Garcia, right out of the gate, we're talking about two mile an hour increase in ball speed from Sim 2 to Stealth. Now that's significant because we're not talking about guys going from Sim to Stealth. We're talking about going from the previous version to the newest. And it's really tough for manufacturers to squeeze more ball speed out of drivers today it's because they're they're about as fast as they're gonna get. But going to this carbon fiber phase changes things up. Scotty Scheffler's gained three miles an hour. And as you mentioned, he's at 174. 2018, he's at 179. So for him to still be able to like stay in that ballpark of still being fast and being able to get, you know, say, close to 300 yards or just over 300 yards worth of carry is is good. Now, 281 is because he's teeing it low. Now, they didn't show the spin numbers, but you're going to be impacting that golf ball with a with a descending blow. So you're going to be imparting more spin on the golf ball. They didn't show a spin, but you would assume more spin on this ball, which is why it goes shorter, but he's able to control it better. Launching it at 10 degrees, descent angle just 32 degrees with an apex of 89, meaning the highest point on that golf ball when it was going out was, was at 89. Now, let's compare that to the, when he tees it high. So Tiger's at 298. So we're, we're talking basically 20 yards difference in carry. Exact same ball speed, 174, so he's not changing anything there. Launching it six degrees higher at 16, but his apex move was 140 feet. 50 feet difference. Almost double. Yeah. So when he's teeing it low, I mean, he is just flighting that thing. But, and this is this is what I love though, he's an artist. He's always trying to find ways to, to work his way around Augusta. I mean, nobody in the field knows the golf course better than him, and he knows he's going to need both of these shots. But I just love the fact that we were able to actually get some real numbers with like two drivers that you're going to see Tiger hit this week. The, the high ball, teed up high, and teed low. And we've done some robot testing on this, and the numbers check out to exactly what we saw. Um, Chris Mason, top 100 golf instructor, he actually had a video that we shot where he talked about the second serve. You had the high bomb and the second serve, meaning that when you need to get it in the fairway, when you tee it down low, you're going to get that lower launch. It's more control, but you can also, because it's teed down lower, you're going to be able to get more of that go-to fade, which is a little bit more controlled. So I think it's cool that we get the numbers. And again, when it comes, what happens to be tied to the greatest golfer of all time. Yeah, I think, well. I think tee height is like one of the most underrated things that can actually help the recreational amateur golfer at home. Pros, uh, one of the reasons pros are so good is because they just identify the stuff that's the absolutely easiest things to fix and they just do them religiously, methodically. And tee height is one of those things. Like when a guy's trying to hit a fade versus a draw, you'll see that tee height is the biggest tell of what the player's actually trying to do because you'll see that tee height go up and down. I once saw Justin Thomas hit a, he was trying to hit this like snipe cut around this corner out of Travelers. And that thing, that tee height was half an inch off the ground. And it's the first thing the pros go to because it's the easiest thing they can do. And amateur golfers, 
like barely think about this at all. You guys, you and Gene did some great work on this with the robot. And as you said, the numbers absolutely check out. If you want to hit your ball a little higher with a little less spin, tee it up nice and high. If you're struggling with your driver that day, you don't necessarily need to keep struggling with your driver that day. You can just tee the ball a little lower. That'll help you get a little steeper on it in your golf swing, get a little more swing on the spin on the ball, which will just get the ball in play. It's such an easy thing that golfers can do, and it's something they don't even think about that much. Yeah, it, it, I'm so glad you brought this up because I was going to tie it to the, to the average golfer as well. You just don't see guys varying the tee height during the course around. It's usually, if they're, if they're seeing a miss, they're going right to the wrench mm -hmm. and trying to adjust the movable weights that a lot of today's drivers have. When, in actuality, maybe all you need to do is just tee it a little bit lower and, you know, yes, you're going to be adding spin and you're going to be hitting it shorter, but, you know, if you're in the fairway more often, even if it's 20 yards back, it's a whole lot better than, you know, finding the trees and having to, like, hack out sideways. So I, I, think, I think it's a great lesson if if you're if you play in windy conditions, do like Tiger does. Tee it lower, and you know again, work on his shot on the range. Don't just do it on the golf course and think you're going to be able to execute it because teeing the ball lower it does take time to kind of learn how to, you know, go with that negative angle attack instead of a positive angle of attack. So again, test it out. But again, if the goat's doing it, it's probably good if the average golfer does it as well. Absolutely, and like I said, it, 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 you'll find that a few balls on the range, it's easier than you think to yeah. make a change like that, and it can be hugely beneficial. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk about these Enzo numbers, the insights that you got, but before we get to the Enzo, I want to let you know that this episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor George Ganks' training aid, the G-Box. The G-Box is the absolute best training aid to help you make a full and complete body turn. To accomplish the turn, both beginners and professionals can utilize the G-Box in such a way as to not only promote the correct depth of backswing, but also proper width of the arms throughout their swing. The G-Box is not only easy to use, but provides the same immediate feedback from specific drills that George Gankus provides to all of his players during their lessons. Simply put, the G-Box is the most versatile training aid in golf today for protecting your backswing and downswing drills. To pick up your G-Box, simply head over to golf.com's pro shop and use promo code Fully Equipped for 10% off. That's promo code Fully Equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, one word, at the golf.com pro shop. All right, Enzo, I'm saving the best for last, man. So for those of you that don't know Enzo, it's a motion capture system. Now, Fujikuro was, was the one who helped, who developed this. And they developed it initially for their shafts. And that's important because they are a shaft company and they're trying to find ways to optimize the profiles of all their shafts. But the cool thing about Enzo is you can throw a golfer on there and it's going at a thousand frames per second. And these cameras, usually there's 10 of them, and each camera costs 25K. Not cheap. Not cheap. And they are able to capture your swing, every frame of your swing, all the way down. Now, that, you know, average golfer might say, well, what's the benefit of that for me? But there, there is a lot of benefit to Enzo and in, in how it can help you learn about your swing and maybe learn if the gear that you're using is right for you. Absolutely. And obviously this is a ping system now. They run all their pros through this because it goes into their development of the golf club itself. I mean, what we see with a guy like Cam Champ, who we'll talk about later, is that he's applying incredible amounts of speed 
and therefore like stress, if you think about it that way, to the golf club, to the golf shop. And that gives the design of the golf club itself a really intricate look at what the golf club is doing as he swings it. That, all those learnings go into the technology of the club itself, and then they start designing it in ways that makes it easier to hit for the average golfer. By, and it's only because they're taking this MRI-type look at the golf swing, at the golf club, as it's being swung at 120-plus miles per hour that we're able to sort of deduce these things. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, Ping now has it, which they... So if you've... I say if you've never been to Ping headquarters, but I'm sure people listening out there have probably not been to Ping headquarters like I have, but they do have an Enzo system in what they call their Bubba Bay. Um, it's it's the indoor it's the indoor hitting bay. They had to build it because guys like Bubba were hitting it over the back of the netting on the range. But now that they have this Enzo system in here, they were bringing guys through. They talked they talked to me and said that they had pros during the Phoenix Open week that were coming through and getting insights and learnings. And I know you've been trying to get some insights from Ping. You've been you've been hounding them, <laughs> and they they gave you some really cool insights. What were some of the ones from the pros or the guys that they've had on Enzo? What were the ones that stuck out to you as being the most interesting? Yeah. So shout out to Dr. Paul Wood. Oh, Dr. Yeah. Paul Wood, he's a great one. Friend, friend of the pod, VP yes. of Engineering at Ping. Uh, I've been nagging him for months. I'd be like, you know, there've been seventy-five thousand swings taken on the Enzo machine. I, I gotta get a. And somehow I haven't seen any of them. I, got, I gotta get some numbers, Paul. I, I need my fix. And so. A fellow yeah. Brit. A fellow Brit, exactly. Uh, went to college in St. Andrews. So, you know, there's all sorts of interesting stuff in here. Um, you know, Drew Cooper currently holds the record. For, he's an elite amateur player. He has 140 mile. He clocked 140 mile per hour club head speed on that. I mean, okay, so. That, that was the one that surprised me the most because mm. if, if I was going to put m money on somebody as being the fastest, it would have been Wilco. Mm. I, and he, he was up there. He had he's sec currently second place at 132 miles per hour. Fastest tall player, but not the one, fastest 132 golfer. to 140? I know. It's a, it's a sizable increase. That's and this, a huge increase. Drew Cooper's an amateur too, so keep an eye on that name. So it's kind of, if, if Drew Cooper was a stock, I'm, I'm putting a lot of money in, in Drew Cooper. Absolutely. He's a great, he's, he's, you know, he, he, he could pay for your time. Oh, I love it. But, um, but if, we, if, we dive, if we dive into the nerdy stuff a little bit, the, stuff that, the thing that I found really interesting, and it's something the Enzo can measure that not a lot of other players can measure, is the hand speed. So like the, the speed at which your hands are moving during the golf club. We get really obsessed with how fast the ball is moving off the face and how fast the club head is moving. But what about the hands, which are actually powering this interaction, right? So what we found is that the fastest, the, the, the joint fastest maximum hand speeds recorded on the answer were Carmen Cham and Wilco, Wilco Nienenbaum at 28 miles per hour which means that at the top of their golf swing, when they start pulling that club down, those hands are traveling at 28 miles per hour, which is incredibly fast for hands to travel. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I really would wonder what our hands are traveling. I know I got to get on Enzo. And it's it's way, half that. way south of 20, I think. <laughs> 12. Yeah, 12 about 12. Hour. 28 is incredible. So that's Kamchang and Wilco Nienema. But what's especially interesting is that they start, they, they, read a peak, they reach a peak speed of 28 miles per hour, but by the time they get to impact J-Wall, Cam Champ's hands have dropped down to 9 miles per hour, and Wilco's have dropped down to 10 miles per hour. 
So what does that tell us? What that tell us is that those guys have really put the brakes on that thing, right? They're getting their hands traveling really fast and then they're just grinding to a halt because they want that club head to just absolutely rip through. It's like a hammer. They just, they, they want that hammer at impact to be going as fast as possible, it, but the hands are basically at a stop. Exactly, and like if you're hammering a nail, right, you don't want to like continue your fist straight into the wood. You right. want to release the hammer at a certain right. point, and that's what these guys are doing. But what's interesting about that is that as they're releasing that club head and they're sending all that speed out to the club head, that shaft starts deflecting which basically means it starts bending. And in Wilco's case, his shaft starts bending 6.5 inches. Okay, so the club head, it gets six. We gotta get, we gotta get like a still frame of this, of, of this shaft like. Just absolutely yeah. twisted in the club. And it just goes to show important. This is a, exactly the type of example that we are pointing to and saying like, yeah, wow, when you apply this speed to the golf club or similar speeds, you can see how much that shaft starts bending around. And every time that start, shaft starts deflecting in that direction, the club face starts closing, ball could go left. The rounds are ruined, tears are shed, all that sort of thing. So it's it just goes to show how intricate you can how intricate you can get and the learnings you can derive looking at the sort of the technology that's being put in place nowadays and just shows like how speed is created really in the golf club and how it's being sent from your body out to the club. Yeah, it, it makes me as I as you kind of offer up these insights, it makes me wonder like I mean, I know I, I, my swing's terrible, <laughs> but now I'm like, well, maybe I need to slow my hands down. I'm gonna really get messed up. Here. Oh yeah, I'm gonna, is... I'm gonna be trying to slow my hands down consciously and like swinging the club out. Before you know it, you're gonna see me like selling my golf clubs at a pawn shop. So I guess, look, in simplest terms, right? What this tells me is that these guys are not holding back the club head. They're not trying to turn with their body and leave the club head in the dust. They're releasing that thing. You know, they're, tr they're trying to send that club head past their hands through the ball. That's what's the really interesting thing. And then as far as the shaft deflection, that's all a matter of finding the right shaft for you, tip stiffness, uh, flexibility, all that sort of thing. But really, the idea of holding on to the club face and turning, that's only one part of the equation, really. You know, you're trying to send that speed out to the club head, get a full release there, get the club head whipping past your hands. That's where the power is. Yeah. Do you think anybody's going to top through Cooper? Not anytime soon. Not anytime soon. No way. Uh, not, a, not a chance. Although Tony Finau, he's always sneaky long. I think I think he could probably get up there. He, I, I was talking to just Coach Boyd Summerhays uh, the other day. You know, he was the first person to record plus. 200 mile per hour ball speed on the PGA Tour. You know what? Yes, he was. Back when he was a corn ferry tour. Interesting. Yeah, it huh. was unbelievable. All right, so before we wrap this week's pod, we've got to get our picks. Who are you taking? You know, I, as far as the market favorites, really like Patrick Cantlay, plus 2200. But I'm aware that Picking a market leader isn't, isn't the most interesting thing in the world. So as far as kind of a mid-range favorite, I kind of like the look of Adam Scott out here. Actually putting surprisingly well, if you look at his strokes game putting stats. Obviously won here at the Master, uh, Augusta National before. He's racked up a couple, couple top 10 finishes on tour this week. He's plus 430 to finish in the top 10. So I kind of like that name as far as value. 
I like that pick. Scott, Scott would not have been on my radar. What, what about you, Jay? Well, who do you? Well, I have my pick, and then you just poked a whole bunch of holes in it. <laughs> I, I'm gonna take Victor Hovland. I'm still gonna take Victor Hovland, but I need you to tell me why for people out there that would be dumb enough to blindly follow me, why Victor Hovland's probably not a good pick. So, I, I, it pains me to say this as a European Ryder Cup fan, but a friend of the pod, Colt Nost, you know, obviously co-host of the Subpar podcast, was telling me the other day that um, of the past seven Masters champs, all have been above the tour average in strokes gained around the green. Jay, well, do you know where uh, do you know where Victor? Hovland I'm going to say uh, that that Victor is not above the tour average. It's currently second to last on the PGA Tour. So as good a ball striker as he is, as a manageable a putter as he is, <laughs> I don't know if he's primed to play well. So does that mean that he'll be having a trunk slamming week? Perhaps, but you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Victor Hovland. Maybe he has this, maybe the universal lines and just sends him into He's a just going to ball room. strike this golf course to death. You know, you, you don't need to chip if you hit every no, green. I was going to say, you're going to hit every green in regulation. <laughs> so, Luke, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully you come back on the pod again. Oh, anytime, Jay. Well, thank you for having me. All right, that will do it for episode 135 of Boy Equipped. As always, if you want that equipment goodness, check us out on social media. We are at Floyd underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. And thanks again to Savannah River Brewing Company for having us. See you around.